you know what? Today's a very different show. I need to apologize to you guys. I need to apologize to the banter fam and to anyone watching the show because I missed what was probably one of the biggest news items uh, in, in crypto this year. I don't know how I missed it. I don't know why. I don't know. We have got a big research team and they were all helping me with research. And even with that, we didn't report back on what is probably the biggest crypto news of the year. But the truth is that if we missed it, chances are that you also missed it. And so today we're going to be talking about what I think is the biggest news of the year and why we missed it. Get the fuck out of bed, bitch, go. afternoon good night good monday wherever you are in the world welcome back guys it's been a it's been a weekend i was away for the weekend uh it was amazing 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 weekend i'm glad to be back though and i'm glad to be back into what looks like it's going to be an amazing week for crypto we've got bitcoin at 19,587. we're going to talk about what this week holds. is going to be one of the biggest holds today let me know in the comments what you think the biggest news of the year is and that we missed so the the, the clue is that we actually missed it okay so let me know in the comments what you think that news actually was or is, um, because it's really, it really, really, really is big news. And I should have picked up on it earlier, but I didn't. And I think because we didn't, we're going to talk about that news today. We're also going to talk about Ethereum. We're going to talk about Aptos. We're going to talk about Sui. We're going to talk about Cardano. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. We've got a huge, uh, a huge, huge, huge show. Um, before we get the show on the road, obviously subscribe to the channel if you're not subscribed. If you're not part of the 90% of people who watch the show that are subscribed, subscribe 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 to the channel um and if you are one of the people that's part of the banter fam already well then just like this content give us a like it gets us help us it helps us get unshadow banned number one which you guys have done a very 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 good job helping us with that it also it also tells the youtube algorithm that this content is pretty good and then it circulates it more and in this in the bear market we do struggle with distribution so help us help us we help you uh, i do my part now you guys do your part ready cool let's do it we have a guest in the studio today so we have a that's that's a, a guest. He's from Vancouver. His name is Shalamantu. He just walked into the studio five minutes before the show, and uh, he was like, "I need to come and get a photo with you." I was like, "Well, come join the show." So Shalamantu, welcome, brother. Uh, thank you. So uh, he's here in the studio watching us do a live show. We've also got Kyle Dupes with us every day. Hello. Yo, 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 yo. All right, let's get into the news because a lot of people were complaining. Not a lot of people. There was one specific person in the comments that was complaining. And he said, for the first 15 minutes of the show, all you do is um, is have music, good evening, show a Bybit link, and the show only starts at 15 minutes. So today, I'm not going to show you a Bybit link yet. Um, I'm going to start the show. 
Say again? I'll do, I'll do Bitget. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm going to start the show now. I'm going to start the show now. I'm going to start the show now. People talking about Elvis coin. Okay, no, this is not about Elvis coin. This is not about Elvis coin. Um, is he Jimmy's weed dealer? No, he's a community member from Vancouver who's here to visit us. <laughs> People are saying that my five head is shining. I've got to get the brightness down of my five head. Um, it's because James keeps adjusting the the lighter. Anyway, let's let's start because I don't want to. I want to prove this one guy. There's one lonesome guy in the comments who complains about the fact that we have a personality before the show, and it's not like CNBC or CNN, but it's like all about business. So for that one guy in the comments, and I will find you in the comments. I will find you. I just I don't remember your name. This one's for you, bro. We start. We'll start exactly after five minutes. We'll start the alpha after five minutes, and then it's going to be the highest alpha. It, it'll be the highest alpha show per minute. On the entire internet. Ready? Three, two, one. Go. Okay, so here we are. 19,551, but that's not what we should be worrying, what we should be looking at. What we should be looking at is this thing over here. So what it looks like is, it's not what it looks like. If you look at the numbers, if you look at the stats, you can see that Bitcoin has been accumulating in this range, this 19,000, 18,500 range, to you can kind of say that the range kind of ends here. It's only, or let's say here, twenty-five thousand range. And I must say, if you look at how long this has been happening for, I don't recall a time in Bitcoin's history where Bitcoin kept a range of fifteen percent within fifteen percent for a period of four months. And I've been here for a while. I don't remember such a small range for a long time. Now, what does this mean? It means that well, if you look at what it generally means, when you have a coin accumulate for a long period of time it means that the next move is going to be a big move so it means that whether we get the next move up or down usually what happens is if you take the length of the accumulation so let's say we take the length of this line over here we take it we draw a line and we say okay let's just quickly draw a line for you guys here um so if you take uh, the, oh, it's amazing okay so if you take the length of that and you okay amazing <laughs> it's working very well here there we go. If you take the length of that, generally what you, you, you'd say is that the next move would be about as big as that length. That would mean that Bitcoin can go, well, straight up to 20, 30, 40, uh, uh, to 30,000, 35,000, or it could come down. I'm going to show you today why I think we may actually be going up. So that's that. Um, and I'm not the only one who's, 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 who's uh, looking at this, at this range. Will Clemente also said, he said, you know, open interest profile really illustrates how, how key how key of a level 19,000 is. The longer Bitcoin consolidates in this range, volatility compresses and futures positions build up. So futures positions start to hold this range as their base. And then eventually that's the larger the expansion will be. And the impressive thing about Bitcoin holding the 19,500 range or 19,200 range or whatever it is, is that it's done this against stock market volatility, which is kind of unprecedented. So if you look at this period over here where we have Bitcoin doing this the last four months, I call it from the middle of June. And then you go to the NASDAQ and you say, okay, what happened in the NASDAQ since June? Okay, look at the moves in the NASDAQ. So June is over here. The NASDAQ went up 23.5% or 24, 24.5%. And then from that point, it came down. Um, let's see where it is relative to where we are today. It's come down about 20, 21%. So we've had these violent moves in the NASDAQ and we've had Bitcoin staying within a 10 to 15% range. And what it feels like is it feels like it's an accumulation period. And it's an accumulation period, which kind of feels like the calm 
before the storm. So it almost feels like there will be a storm and it's just being calm and calm and calm and people have just been collecting and accumulating and accumulating and there is going to be a storm. And the question is, when a storm happens, which way are we going to go? And I'm not the only one talking about this calm before the storm. In fact, if you look at the indicators, if you look at things like the, the Bitcoin historic volatility, okay, the Bitcoin historic volatility has seen low volatility readings of it. And that's the pink line over here. So if you look at the volatility, it's dropped below this critical level, which is the 25. And usually when it drops below the critical level of 25, you get a violent move. So if you look at previous times where Bitcoin volatility has dropped, like you look here and you look here. Let me try and make that a bit, a bit bigger for you guys. Here, here, here. Every time we've seen that, we've had a violent move. And in these cases, if you look on this sample size, from about 2019, the violent move has been upwards. Okay, so, so we are expecting volatility. So given that we are expecting volatility, the first thing I did was I went to look at GMX because that indicator hasn't failed us yet. Remember, we said that there's the GMX indicator. It's a long-short ratio on GMX. And I said to you guys that if you look at the long-short ratio on GMX, usually the market goes the opposite way from where there are the majority of the positions. So I said to you guys that there was a massive short position. And when shorts go above longs hugely, then usually they'll get squeezed. Okay, so I looked at that. And as you can see today, the long positions are 35 million and the short positions are 42 million. So there's not much of a differential. So this is, again, saying low volatility for a while. Low volatility, not expecting any big. There's, not, there's no imbalance between long and short. So that's not showing us any big volatility. But what is showing us big volatility is this. It's this indicator over here, which says that every time if we go under the 25, every time a Bitcoin um, historical volatility goes under 25, then we expect a, a massive move. And if there is going to be a massive move, it could come this week. And the reason why I think it could come this week is because from a macro point of view, this is a very, very, very big week. And I'll show you why. So this week, we have five Fed members scheduled to speak, which I don't think that I think that's a nothing burger because we kind of know that the market's not responding to the Fed speakers anymore because they're all briefed on a narrative and the market knows their narrative. The market knows that the Fed speakers narrative is a very simple narrative. It's like we're going to continue to increase interest rates. Until inflation comes down, we're not near the end of increasing interest rates. In fact, do me a favor, um, Kyle, just, 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 just repeat after me. Okay, so we're not going to continue to increase interest rates. We're going yeah. yeah. to continue to increase interest rates until inflation has come down. And then afterwards say, we, don't, we, we have not yet seen inflation started to come down. Just say that. We're going to keep raising interest rates until inflation comes down and we have not yet seen inflation come down. Therefore, we're going to keep raising until the market's new. Congratulations, Carl. You can now go and work at the Fed. Thank you. That's how it works. That's how, that's how simple it is. So I don't think that the Fed speakers are going to have any impact. Okay, then the next big thing which is happening this week is we've got 20% of the S&P 5 companies of the S&P 500 companies reporting earnings. Remember, we said to you that this, this week and next week are the big earnings weeks for, for the, the markets. And the earnings number or the earnings reports could give the market a violent move. So if the earnings reports are not as per expectation, then the market, it could give the, the market huge volatility. Because remember, the market likes to know what's happening. The market likes stability. It doesn't like surprises. The market doesn't, doesn't like surprises. So if we get surprises in Q3 earnings, which are being reported now, this week, in fact, let me show you guys a quick calendar. Um, there's this over here, which shows you like this week, we've got Tesla, Netflix, 
Snapchat, IBM, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Charles Schwab. So you've got all these companies over here uh, reporting this week. And then you've got, here we go, some more. So this is just a, a graphic representation of, of, of the earnings reports this week. And then next week, we have a much bigger earnings week. So next, next week is actually the one that we're worried about. That's the one with Google and Facebook and all that. That happens next week. So for the next two weeks, we can expect um, we can expect uh, um, uh, uh, earnings. People are saying that the market's opening. Let's look at the market quickly while it's opening. Uh, you got NASDAQ futures up 2%. Amazing, amazing way to start the week. Uh, you have Bitcoin up 19,586. Also an amazing way to start the week and an amazing way to start the week of the trading competition. Okay, so I checked the trading competition. These are the rankings. There are some DGENs that are already up 60.78%. Okay, but these guys will get wrecked. These guys will. These guys will get wrecked. They'll get. Yeah. Remember, it's a marathon. The trading competition is a marathon. It's and and it's not a sprint. So let's see how how many how, how many of them will last. There's 912 playing on the buy bit side. I think about the same playing on the bitget side. Uh, if you want to join, there's a link below. Join us. Not only will you be able to win uh, over a hundred thousand dollars, but 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 but. I am going to be funding accounts at the end of the show. Funding your account if you want to participate in the trading competition. So do that. See what I did there. I plugged in the bar, but chill later. And then he didn't, the other guy, that guy didn't even realize. 13 and a half minutes in. Okay, so there is earnings this week. The reality around earnings, as I've said to you guys before, is it doesn't really matter what the earnings are. It, it, it matters what, the, what you report relative to what people are forecasting, relative to what your guidance is, relative to what analysts are forecasting in, in, your, cent, in, in, your, in your sector. So far, we've already had 7% of the S&P reporting their earnings. Of those, 69% EPS, earnings per share beat rate, 67% revenue beat rate. So, so far, with 7% of, of companies reporting, we know that the reports have been better than expected. Well, not good, but just better than analysts and other people uh, expected. So, that's good. So, as long as we keep, doesn't matter what the actual earnings are, as long as they are um, relative to expectations, close enough to expectations, we're good. And the thing is that the market is not actually expecting very, very good results. In fact, we're in the middle of one of the largest earnings estimate cuts in history. In fact, look at this. If you look at the only other time there was a bigger earnings rate cut was during the COVID bubble. But otherwise, if you go all the way back to 2010, right now, the market is, is pricing in bad earnings. So not only would we need to see bad earnings, but we'd need to see bad earnings worse than what the market is currently pricing in, in order for this market to catch a shock. So I don't know if earnings are going to bring the volatility. Um, I think the one thing we do know is that it's not all doom and gloom, right? And why I say it's not all doom and gloom is because if you look at what the narrative is about now, what the narrative has been about, the narrative has been around increasing prices and inflation. And on, on that front, there are two things which have which have now come out, which show that inflation actually may be easing. First thing that's come out is that the CPI, the, the, the CPI, the, the CPI inflation, 33% of what makes up CPI is what they call uh, shelter, which is priced largely on what they call owner's equivalent rent. Now, that started to come down for the first time in a long time. The second good thing is that if you look at supply chains, which is the other thing causing inflation, Supply chains are becoming more efficient again in terms of delivery times, which means that, you see, we are starting 
to come back to normality on the supply chains. And when we have this, when we get rid of the supply side inflation, the last thing that we're going to have to get rid of is this war in Russia and Ukraine. And then it's back to business as usual. Then the inflation numbers could actually start coming down. And then we're back to business as usual. And this whole thing actually, actually falls behind us. It would be a happy day when that happens. But in the meantime, unfortunately, the markets are pricing in huge fear. I mean, in fact, sentiment out there, as you know, not only in crypto, but actually in, in, in actual markets, sentiment is, is, is terrible out there. I saw some indicators. So, for example, it says markets have completely destroyed risk-seeking behavior. What you can see is that people are so scared of risk right now that they've actually gone, okay, we've got our guests leaving. Cheers, my friend. All right. So good to be here. Ciao, my friend. Thank you. So you can see that markets are pricing in, uh, are, are, are very, very, very scared to take risks. In, and you can also see it in the number of puts. So remember, put options are negative options. It's the right to sell something. And you can see that we haven't, the market hasn't been this negative since around 08 to 2008, which is the, which is the, the subprime, the subprime uh, collapse. And usually when markets are this negative, it means that people go short. And usually when so many people go short, it could mean that we get a short squeeze. So you've got to keep your eyes open for that short squeeze. But in the meantime, sentiment is bad. Sentiment is not only bad in, in, in traditional markets, it's bad in traditional markets and crypto. Um, traditional markets are at extreme fear, 23. Crypto markets also at extreme fear. We've been at extreme fear for the last, last month, whole month, we, we, we were in extreme fear. And as I said to you guys, traditionally, if you, if you were buying, if your strategy was just to buy extreme fear and sell ex extreme greed, that's probably one of the, the best, most tried, and, most tried and tested strategies out there. It's, it's that simple. Just buy extreme fear and, and, and you know that eventually it will pivot. The problem with this market cycle is that not only is it about extreme fear, but the problem is that people are losing interest. People are not investing in crypto assets anymore. People are not putting money in the market. They've taken their money out of risk assets. That's that's the problem. And it feels like it feels like a um, uh, almost like a what do you call it? Like people have lost interest. It feels like like a dead zone or like the calm before before a huge storm. And I think that what we need is we need a catalyst. If we're going to get out of this market cycle, we need a catalyst. And the problem is that it's not a crypto catalyst that we need because there were there was one huge 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 crypto catalyst which i'll talk about in a second and then there's one huge crypto catalyst on the horizon but the problem is that we don't need a crypto catalyst we need a a market catalyst we need a macro market catalyst so like what would a macro market catalyst be a fed pivot would be an amazing macro market catalyst but that's not coming anytime soon because you know the fed are going to keep saying that they're going to keep increasing interest rates until they get to they get inflation under control. So a Fed pivot ain't happening. Maybe we need an, the end to the war in Ukraine. And to me, that would be the most logical thing. But as I said to you before, I think there are some ulterior motives when it comes to ending the war in Ukraine. It doesn't feel to me like there's a lot of pressure behind the big governments to end the war in Ukraine. And if there is, then why isn't Joe Biden doing anything about this? I mean, is he, I, I get he may be playing a strategic game, but I read this tweet from, from David Sachs. Um, and, you know, David Sachs is someone that, that we really respect a lot around. And he said something, he said, said, if one of my companies told me that there was a 25, that, that it had a 25% chance of going out of business, 
we would drop everything and focus on that company. Intelligence analysts say there's a 25% chance of a nuclear war. And Biden is in Oregon. It just feels to me like either Biden's completely out of touch or there's some bigger strategic thing at play here. But either way, that would be an amazing, that would be an amazing catalyst to end the war. And it does feel like Biden's a bit out of touch. I mean, I saw this on the weekend. And this is not an anti a Biden knock because, I mean, I don't think you need to knock him any further than he's knocked himself. But, I mean, you know, like just, 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 I mean, we are two weeks away from midterm elections. I get it. Guy walks into an ice cream shop with his secret service. Okay, like look, look, look how many secret service people there are. Yeah? Gets an ice cream, which is all okay. I mean, I, I enjoy ice cream just as much as the next man does. I'm not concerned about the first of the I'm concerned about the rest of the world. That makes sense. Yes, our economy is strong as hell. He's eating an ice cream, saying, "I'm not concerned about the U.S. dollar. I'm concerned about the rest of the world. The rest of the world is collapsing because of the the interest rate policy in the United States. And you're sitting there eating an ice cream two weeks before before midterm elections. I don't know. It's it's almost like the guy's out of touch. Um, he's talking about the Inflation Reduction Act to reduce healthcare and, and other price pressures. He's in full on. He is in full on." Um, he is in full-on uh, campaigning mode at the moment, and I think, to be honest, I think that, I think that that the Democrats are gonna are gonna get a big wake-up after this, these midterm elections. I think so. I mean, look, I'm not I'm I'm non-partisan. I don't even live in the United States, but when I'm watching what's going on, it feels to me like the Democrats are gonna take take a bit of a hit at this election. Let me know what you guys think in the comments. Um, look, I guess that either way. This is going to take a while because we need this macro catalyst. And the only catalyst that could be as a, a Fed pivot, the end to the war in Russia and Ukraine. I don't know, maybe the midterm elections, Carl, maybe the midterm elections would be the catalyst. Maybe if the Democrats take a huge loss, maybe that's that, that's the catalyst to change policy, do different shit. Uh, I don't know. We need Either way, we need a catalyst because other, if, if, if we don't get a catalyst and all we're relying on is we're relying on the Fed and waiting for the Fed to pivot. Problem is that it may be quite a long wait. Now, I don't know if you guys were watching our banter on Friday, one of the best banters we've ever had. But just listen to what Yoni said. Yoni is the founder of eToro. And I remember they got about 10 million people on their books. So he's pretty in touch with what's going on. And just listen to what he said. Gee, we're just used to things, right? Our, our Gen, Gen Y is used to things happening super fast. Mm -hmm. But economic cycles have been happening for the last 300 years and economic cycles take time. So what, what the Fed is doing by raising rates, they're making investors invest less because they can get four and four and a half percent on bonds now suddenly, right? So they're investing less, companies are hiring less. So eventually salaries get a bit deflated or stop rising. So people have less money to buy stuff, you know, and again, I don't think it's a good policy, but poor get poorer. Uh, in the process where eventually it's supposed to lead to lowering inflation. But those cycles just take four to six quarters. Historically, it's taking four to six quarters for that to actually reach the economy. So everybody's asking, why hasn't it happened yet? Because it just it just takes time. Okay, so question. 
Okay, the so status increased. That, right is, that so is what Johnny said. And basically just said, look, it's just going to take time. It's just going to take a whole lot of time. By the way, I don't know if you guys saw this. I want to show this to you. This is so cool. This is uh, what, uh, what Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, tweeted on, on the weekend. Um, just watch how he gets ready for these shows. I think it's so cool. Watch this. So let's do this, guys. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, watch, watch, watch. <laughs> He's shaving with his kimono on, putting makeup on his head. And then he gets ready. <laughs> anyway, what you see on the one side of the camera and what happens on the other side of the camera seem to be very, 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 very different things. Um, yeah, so we need we need this we need this macro pivot. And the truth is, if we don't get this macro pivot, then for as long as you're a DGen investor like us, then it's going to be quite a long wait. And when I say a DGen investor like us, I don't only mean like people like me and you, but I also mean people like Kathy Wood. I don't know if you saw this, but so Kathy Woods, you know, Kathy Woods invests in growth stocks. In fact, her ARK ETF is down 79% from the high, which is like a, basically like a crypto shitcoin. But then, so I looked at this, which was super cool. They compared Buffett's portfolio to Kathy Woods' portfolio. So this is Buffett's portfolio, okay? So majority of his portfolio is in Apple. 40% of his, of his portfolio is in Apple. 10% is in, in Bank of America. 8% is in Coke. Seven, eight percent is in Chevron, seven percent is in American Express, four percent is in Heinz, three percent is in Occidental uh, Petroleum, and then a whole lot of little rats and mice over here. That's that's Buffett's portfolio. Now, look at Kathy Wood's portfolio: Tesla, Zoom, Roku, Exact Science, uh, Intelia Therapeutics, CRISPR Therapeutics, Teladoc Health, um, Twilio, Coinbase, Beam, Unity, Shopify. Now, I was thinking when I when I looked at this, I thought to myself, hold on a second. Which portfolio would I rather be holding? Would I rather be holding this portfolio or this portfolio? Which, which portfolio would you rather be holding? I think I know what you guys are going to say. I think that you'd rather be holding Kathy Wood's portfolio, not Warren Buffett's portfolio. And the reason why I think that is because I think we're all growth investors. I think we're all aggressive, aggressive growth investors. And I think that in bear markets, aggressive growth investors get punished. But in bull markets, she will outperform Warren Buffett any single day of the week. So Warren Buffett's gone very defensive for the bear market. But I think in a growth market, Kathy would, would, would outperform. So let me know in the comments who you'd rather be holding. Let me know if you'd rather be holding Kathy Wood or Warren Buffett. I definitely hold Kathy. Uh, no, I mean, I'm, you know what I mean, Carl. I mean portfolios. Where is your head? <laughs> Get it out the gutter. Let me know in the comments if you'd rather be holding Kathy or Warren. 40% Apple. How much growth can you get in Apple, bro? It's, it's, already, it's already moon, bro. It's moon. It's finished. Okay, so let's talk about um, catalysts. So we, we need a macro catalyst. In the interim, we had a whole lot of crypto catalysts. And I want to talk to you about one crypto catalyst that's coming up and one crypto catalyst which actually happened last week. And I don't, know how, how, I don't know how many other people missed it. And as I, I apologize to you guys at the beginning of the show, I said to you guys, look, I missed 
one of the biggest pieces of news this year that happened. Now, how did I miss it? Well, truth is, in a bear market, no matter how good the news is, it doesn't move the market. That's the problem with bear markets. Bear markets, no matter what you announce during a bear market, and specifically when you're talking about a bear market with a macro bear market on top of it, good news doesn't move the market. The market is completely resilient to good news. doesn't respond to good news at all. And there was amazing news last week. And the amazing news is around this over here, which is the FASB settles on fair value accounting for measuring crypto assets. Now, it feels like a nothing burger, but if you think about what this is about, this pertains to the Financial Accounting Service Standards Board, which governs the accounting treatment in companies in the United States. And what they did was they made a fundamental way, a fundamental change to the way that companies that hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet can account for the Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Historically, if you were like MicroStrategy or Twitter or Tesla, and you bought Bitcoin and put it on your balance sheet, if the price of Bitcoin went down, what that meant was that you have to bring down your earnings to reflect the change in price of Bitcoin. So if you hold a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin, and at the end of the period, that billion dollars is worth $800 million, your Bitcoin has devalued by $200 million. And what you would need to do is you'd need to write down your Bitcoin to the value which it is now. So your earnings, your company earnings would get hit by $200 million. If Bitcoin went back to a billion dollars in the next financial in, in the next financial period, you weren't allowed to mark it up again. So you could only mark it down. So holding Bitcoin on your balance sheet was like a bad strategy because it could only impact your earnings negatively, not positively. But this change, which is a huge change, changed it to adopt what they call fair value accounting. Now, what fair value accounting is, says is that you would need to report on it based on the fair value at the time of your reporting, which means that if the price, if you've got a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin on your portfolio and it goes up by, by 50%, you increase your earnings by $500 million. That is a massive, massive change because that rule alone probably was the single biggest reason why companies didn't hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet because they were too scared of how badly it would impact their earnings and when it would impact their earnings badly. Because you know that Wall Street is very unforgiving. And if your earnings are badly hit, well then Wall Street hit, if your earnings are bad, then Wall Street hits you hard. And too many companies were too scared of what Bitcoin, what would happen if Bitcoin went down in the period. But that's all changed now. And so now there's a, a license for companies to actually put Bitcoin on their balance sheets because they no longer get penalized if the price goes down and then comes back up. And I think that small piece of news is going to act as a massive catalyst to getting companies to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet. It is probably the biggest piece of news that we've had because remember, the biggest buyers of Bitcoin are eventually going to be corporations. It's not going to be the funds and it's not going to be the retail investor. It's eventually going to be corporations who want to hedge their balance sheets. That's where all the money is sitting today. That and pension funds. And once we can convert that and pension funds, then we're going to have huge, huge, huge demand for Bitcoin. So I think that that to me is one is one of the one of the biggest, biggest, biggest um, uh, news stories on the market. The other bit of the other catalyst that could happen is what Kevin O'Leary was talking about on, on, on the show on, on Friday. So just just take a listen to what he's talking about. Bill, there's two bills floating around, but let's talk about the one that has the chance of actually getting money in the bear market. Hold on, let's go back to 27 minutes. 
the United States. There's a bill. There's two bills floating around, but let's talk about the one that has the chance of actually getting passed in the U.S. after November 8th, which is the midterm elections. It almost went to markup last week. It's called the Stablecoin Transparency Act. Now, this has nothing to do with Bitcoin, but it has a lot to do with the tone of regulation. And the reason I think it's interesting is they're trying to solve for the challenges that occurred in these collapses of stable coins that were built around algorithms. 62 billion got erased. The regulators got upset about that, although the majority of that capital, because it was decentralized, was in other countries. But this act is very simple in nature, which is why it may pass. It's being supported by both parties. And the reason that's the case is that it makes effectively the U.S. dollar the default payment system worldwide, which everybody can get behind. So if you have USDC or any other stablecoin that's backed by the dollar, and the test to get it regulated is very simple. You're going to get audited every 30 days. It has so to be that's backed the up one-to-one -one with the dollar. That Kevin O'Leary is speaking about, and he, he believes it's going to be passed just after the election. But when that happens, what happens is effectively it makes stablecoins more legal. And when stablecoins become more legal, then people can start using them to invest and to move money around. And that completely um, uh, 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 disintermediates the banks um, because you don't need the banks anymore because you can invest your own money and move your own money around using USDC stablecoins. Now, the big move for crypto is not that people are going to be in USDC, but the question is, once you're in USDC, once you're in USDC or USDT or any other stablecoin that's 100% backed by US dollars, then you can start investing that money into crypto assets pretty easily. So it's almost like you walk into the casino and you say, look, I'm not going to play. But then they say, you know, just take a handful of chips. Just, just, just have a handful of chips. And then you walk around with a handful of chips in your pocket, walk around the casino. What's going to happen? Eventually, eventually you're going to walk up that slot machine or that roulette table or that, or that blackjack table or, or, or even that stripper. Eventually, it's going to happen. Um, so that's the, two, that's the two big catalysts, which I think may bring a lot of money into crypto. But again, I don't think the market's going to move unless we get this cloud of, of, of this, macro, this, this macro cloud um, above us, uh, away from us. Yeah. Um, speaking of decentralizing and de disintermediating the banks, we've got to talk about this. We've got to talk about this. So I don't know if you guys remember, but PayPal unilaterally changed their terms of service. Remember that? And they said that if they don't like your point of view, then they can just debit your account by, I think the amount was $2,500. You remember that? I think we, we all spoke about that. And there was, there was rage and, and outrage and, 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 and people started to, to use the hashtag close your PayPal account or whatever that hashtag was. And then PayPal did an about turn and changed their terms of service, right? That's, that's, that, that's what happened. And then something similar happened as well um, last week. And that was with Kanye West, where JP Morgan unilaterally shut down his account. I don't know if it was his personal account, but it was the, I think it was the Adidas Yeezy account uh, or the account that he used for that. And um, he... They shut down his account unilaterally because of what they deemed to be an anti-Semitic tweet. So I, I didn't see the tweet, but and I'm Jewish, so I, I don't know if I would have got offended about it or, or not. But either way, who is the bank to become the custodian of free speech? Or who is PayPal to become the custodian of free speech and to decide who can say what? And so this was Kanye's reaction. I think it's, I think it's a pretty good reaction. So the first thing is he... He was wearing a Satoshi Nakamoto hat after being kicked out of, of uh, his bank bank account by JP Morgan, which is, a, I think, a real big 
clear signal about how, you know, it just takes a whole lot of people like this just to change. A whole lot of big people to say, hey, look, you know, big finger up to the banks. And then, and then the movement continues. So th that's the first thing. And then he, he, I caught this snippet of an interview. Just, just listen to this. You know what I'm saying? JP Morgan, I put $140 million into JP Morgan and they treated me like shit. So if JP Morgan Chase is treating me like that, how are they treating the rest no, of y'all? That's outrageous, yeah. And this, this murder was for Chase accounts. Yeah. That that's what I'm saying. I am outraged. Mm -hmm. By the time people always, they want to calm it down. Because no matter what, you didn't yeah. break no law. I didn't break a law. No matter I didn't what, break a the law. The bank shouldn't be a judge or jury on right. anything that's but going this on. But this is, right. you know what I'm saying, yeah, JP Morgan. I didn't break a law. I mean, I, I, I don't know about the tweet, but the banks are not the courts of, of free speech and freedom of speech. And so, you know, if the banks want to get involved in a fight that's not theirs and start closing people's accounts because they, they believe that he, the guy made a tweet that was, that was anti-Semitic, well, that's crazy. And I think that that's a good enough reason to be unbanking yourself and buying Bitcoin. I think it's great that, that Kanye West came out with a Satoshi Nakamoto hat. Because I, I think that's a, a massive, massive, massive statement. And specifically, I think it's a massive statement around Bitcoin and not around Ethereum. So it's, I think it's a massive statement around Bitcoin, but not around Ethereum. And I'll tell you why. We're seeing a big problem with Ethereum. And the big problem with Ethereum is, is this thing over here. That's the problem with Ethereum. It's a massive problem. And the problem is that the red is the number of blocks that were approved or validated by validators, which are OFAC compliant. So remember OFAC said that uh, Tornado Cash, um, that, any, that they sanctioned Tornado Cash. And that means that if you mine a Tornado Cash block, as a validator, then you're actually in breach of, of OFAC regulations or, or, or you're breaching sanctions. Now, if you look at right now, the portion or, or the number of validators which are OFAC compliant, it's 52%. What this means actually is that over 50% of Ethereum blocks are now OFAC compliant or are, are run by companies that are compliant with OFAC uh, regulation. So what that actually means is it means that the U.S. government pretty much controls what blocks can be mined on Ethereum and what blocks can't be mined on Ethereum. That's what, really what it means. Because if 52% of the validators are OFAC compliant and 52% of them don't want to put through OFAC transactions, then it effectively means that it, it means OFAC. Ethereum is under the control of the U.S. government. I mean, I know it's funny, but it's actually not funny. Like, it's 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 funny, ha 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 ha. But it's actually not funny because we've taken the second biggest cryptocurrency and we've made it pretty much under the control of the U.S. government. And so right now, probably the most decentralized is is someone like Bitcoin, like, because that's not under OFAC control and they're not they're not controlling it. So I think that's that's a sad. When I read it, I was like. You know, after all this fight on Ethereum and after all, all the time that I spent investing in that, like, it's so sad for me and for all of us to watch, you know, Ethereum being controlled by the US government because I did this to get away from government control, not to give the government more control. And now, I mean, in the US, I guess pretty much expected, but, you know, if you want to stake your Ethereum, you're going to have to KYC. So just, I mean, it's just, it's moving us from one, it's moving us from one system one centralized system to another centralized system with maybe slightly better technology. That, that's all it is.
That's all it is. That's all it is. Um, okay, what else is there? What else is there? Let's look at some other news. I know there was a whole lot of other news. Uh, I spoke to some people this weekend and I asked them, you know, like, what do you guys think of Aptos and Sui? For those of you who don't know what Aptos and Sui are, they are both blockchains which are being created by ex-Facebook employees and they're being created in a programming language which is called Move. And Move is a derivative of Rust. Rust is the programming language that, that they use to program around Solana. Aptos and Sui are two teams that came out of Facebook and they're building their own blockchains. And I kind of said to myself, guys, why do you think that these two blockchains have got such high valuations? And you know, when I say two high valuations, they got super high valuations. Like Aptos, I think their last valuation was $4 billion, okay? $4 billion valuation. And Sui has a $3 billion valuation, in fact, or $2 billion valuation. And in fact, Mr. Wonderful, when he came on the show, he said he invested in uh, Miston Labs, which is the the... the the company that the, the company that's developing the Sui blockchain. And I said to them, like, guys, you know, what's the upside in investing in these blockchains at four billion and three billion valuation? You know what they said to me? And I know you guys aren't gonna like this in the comments. And they said this. Sure, I'm so scared to say this because I know I'm gonna get roasted on Twitter. But they said, look, they said, look, if we look at a chain like Cardano, where there's not much happening, it's not impossible to think that Aptos and Sui will have the same fully diluted valuation, which is 16 billion, which means there's still a 4x in, in, in Aptos and a, probably an 8x in Sui. That's how people are doing their valuations. I mean, I know it sounds absolutely crazy, but they're comparing it to Cardano and they're saying like, relative to Cardano. I don't know, it sounds weird to me that that's how you do a valuation, relative to Cardano. What else is there today? There's a whole lot of other stuff happening. Um, this is interesting. This is super interesting. This is this is really interesting. This is really interesting. So remember the guy that remember Mango Markets was hacked last week, and the guy that hacked Mango Markets, or so one of the guys that, that hacked and uh, hacked Mango Markets, is a guy called Avram Eisenberg, and he says statements on recent events. I was involved with a team that operated a highly profitable trading strategy last week. I believe all of our actions were legal, open market actions, causing the protocol as designed, using the protocol as designed even if a development team did not fully anticipate all the consequences of setting up parameters the way they are. Unfortunately, the exchange hack took place on Mango Markets. The, the exchange this hack took place on, which is Mango Markets, became insolvent as a result, with the insurance fund being insufficient to cover all the liquidations. This led to users being unable to access their funds. To remedy the situation, I helped negotiate a settlement agreement with the insurance fund with the goal of making all users whole as soon as possible, as well as recapitalizing the exchange. This is similar to how deleveraging works on exchanges such as Binance and BitMEX, clawing back some of the profits from profitable traders in order to ensure that all user funds are protected. As a result of this agreement, once Mango, Mark, once Mango team finishes processing, all users will be able to access their deposits in full with no loss of funds. So what, what is this hack actually saying? He's saying that, look, we didn't really hack Mango markets. We just worked out a problem with, this, with the design of the, of the product. And we just used that problem with the design of the product to trade very legally as per as per the terms of service of the mango markets exchange and it just so happens that the developers overlooked this one minor detail and as a result of this one minor detail being overlooked well they lost a lot of money and he's saying look as a result basically if they agree we'll pay back the money we'll pay back some of the money we'll make all the users whole um but mango markets will take a huge loss which is uh, i mean what is what is it here is it if someone uses a protocol the way it's supposed to be used, the way the smart contract's written, 
and that causes a huge drain, is that illegal? I don't know. That's, I guess time will tell. Um, oh, this is, this is a big story. This is a big story. This is a big story. So this is wild. This is a, there's a, there is um, a new fork of Hex. Okay. So the Hex community is in the shambles. Last week, a Hex clone called Zen or Xen that has all the features of, of Hex, longer pays better, locking up coins without the stink attached to the origin, to the Hex origin address. Um, so what happens is someone created something exactly the same as Hex without the Richard Hart origin address. All the plague hexagons seem to be all in Zen, while the diehard hexagons are fran frantically defending Hex with arguments such as Hex has a better community, with these tweets drawing even more people from Hex to Zen. Been fun seeing it all go down anyways, just thought uh, you might find that funny. So the one design problem, not design problem, but one issue with, with Hex is that Hex has the origin address, which is probably Richard Hart's address. And someone's just taken the same software, same features, and said, well, let's do the same thing without the Richard Hart address. So we know that there's no big well on the other side who could potentially drain this or collapse the whole Ponzi, if you want to call it that. How is this Zen doing? Yeah, let's quickly look. I wonder, let's see what the market... Let's see. Yeah, but but so uh, I think that um, Zen. Mm, mm, if it's this one, Zen, it's not this one. Zen crypto, it's not this one. Anyway, well, let's keep our eyes on that. Let's keep our eyes. Let's keep our eyes open there. Um, okay, so yeah, I think let's do some Bybit and BitGet uh, account. 10x's, not 10x's, uh, funny accounts. Remember, we are having a trading competition. We're going to keep the trading competition going for much longer because it's just bad market conditions. Uh, so we're going to change this. We're going to change the trading competition. Uh, right now, there are 918 people who are signed up on the Bybit competition. If you want to sign up, there's still time to sign up and you can still play. There is a link underneath the, here, you go here, you click here to sign up and you can, and you go here, go, sorry, go here. Yeah, to sign up and you can there we go and you click you first sign up with our referral link and then you click these two links this is the bitget link for um for us users um and then you've got the bybit link okay so let's actually compare so the highest pnl ratio on bitget is 69 percent the highest pnl ratio on bybit is 71 percent so very close eh? Very, very close. So you can see guys are taking the same positions. I wonder if it's the same people. Because you can enter twice. And I think a lot of people are. In fact, I'm going to enter twice. In fact, I, I have entered twice. I've entered with Bybit and I've entered with BitGet. Um, okay. Now, remember, anyone can play. But only if you, if you have a crypto banter referral link, you can win. So this guy can't win. This guy can't win. This guy can't win. But this guy can win because, because he's got a crypto banter referral link. So anyone can play, but only crypto banter referral links can win. We just started. The competition is going to be going for the next three weeks. You can win 14750 8750 $3,500, depending on where you are, over $100,000 up for grabs. Do it. Join us. Um, Sheldon's going to be doing a whole lot of other stuff, a whole lot of trading classes around it. Kyle's going to be doing a whole lot of other uh, classes. Let's find some people. Come on. Let's, let's find some people here. So, okay. So let's quickly go to, let's go to here. Let's find... 172, you're getting $250 in your account. 173, you're getting $250 in your account. This is on BitGet. 
and 174 you're getting 250 dollars in your account that's also on bitget and on bybit let's quickly find some accounts um let's go to 300. okay so from 300 you're getting 250 dollars in your account so that you can join us for free in the trading competition um 301 you've got yourself 250 dollars in your account and 302 you've got yourself 250 dollars in your account and one last one 305 you've got yourself 250 dollars in your account so that you can join us in the trading competition for the rest of you join us in the trading competition because it's fun uh also i think we're gonna i mean that's where i learned how to trade that's where i learned how to trade i'm not a trader i'm an investor I, I, i'm much more a warren buffett hold kathy wood type of guy i will see you guys again tomorrow until then have fun trade well stay safe my friends What did you say to the guest that made him leave? Did you did you offend him, Carl? I didn't speak to him. He was next to James. I think James was James, what did you do to the poor guest that he had to rush out like that? Did you drop one of your protein shake farts, bro? <laughs> <laughs>